Hello and welcome to Talking Home Renovations with a House Maven. I'm Catherine McPhail. I am your host. I am an architect and I practice in Eastern Massachusetts. My specialty is additions and renovations to existing homes. This podcast was started in October of 2019 as a way for homeowners to get information that they needed before they embarked on a home renovation. So I had practical episodes on things like doors and windows, bath fixtures, skylights, things like that. Uh, This season is evolving more into, let's say, home renovation-related content. So I've been having people tell their renovation stories on here. And today, actually, I am talking about tiny houses. Because I was thinking, you know, are you looking at construction costs lately and thinking, maybe I should just move into a tiny house? Or are you thinking of selling your house and then wondering where would you go? Maybe that's just me. Well, I've been interested in tiny houses for years. And I wondered if tiny houses were ever renovated. I mean, they've been around now for a while. And if there's a market for used tiny houses. And then I came across Ethan Waldman, who runs the website, The Tiny House. Net. And I invited him to come on the podcast to discuss tiny houses. He started building his own tiny house in 2012. Now he has a website, thetinyhouse.net. You can find guides and cheat sheets there and his blog and his podcast, which is a Tiny House Lifestyle. So pretty much anything you'd like to know about tiny houses can be found on his website. Here's my conversation with Ethan. Ethan, I, I really appreciate you coming on to, to the show. I'm fascinated by tiny houses. And I mean, people must renovate their tiny houses too, right? So I would love to hear about that. At this point, people have been living in tiny houses, what, like 20, 20 or so years? Sure. I mean, possibly, probably longer. But as we think of it today as the modern tiny house movement, yeah, probably, you know, around the around the turn of the century, around the year 2000. <laughs> wow, that was 20 years ago already. I know. I know. I think I just blew my own mind a little bit. (laughs) Turn of the century. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I guess first, tell me a little bit about what you do. Obviously, you have a lot of information um, that's helping people build and maintain their own tiny houses. Yeah. What's your what's your mission? So I, I really see myself as first and foremost, an educator, a tiny house educator, and and secondly, an advocate. Um, you know, I built my own tiny house on wheels back in 2012, a little bit before the movement had gotten really popular and started started writing, started, started putting out content, and then just really responded to a big need that I saw, mainly in the form of just questions that I got. People were just so curious. And, you know, there's a real DIY spirit to this movement. So people who have never built anything are attempting to build their own houses. So they really need a more um, basic or a more um, kind of foundational education about, you know, what is a building envelope? You know, what is a heating system? How, you know, all these decisions, different kinds of insulation, different types of framing, different types of shells, like all these things that a, that a contractor wouldn't even think about, um, you know, people who are starting from zero knowledge, as I did when I built my tiny house, um, they need a lot more. 
And so, you know, I, my background is actually in adult education. And so I kind of leveraged the experience that I had building my own tiny house and started just putting together friendly, approachable content for, for people to learn more about how to plan, build and live tiny. Well, that's great. I mean, because people do need uh, especially approachable information because sometimes it just gets overwhelming with the technicality of it all. Yeah. And so um, so that's a great service that you that you offer. So are you right now in a tiny house? Uh, right now I'm in a tiny condo. Um, <laughs> so uh, my wife and I don't live full time in our tiny anymore, um, mainly because the city that we really like to live in isn't very tiny friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're in about a 700 square foot condo that like, it's the, it's the most terrible layout. I would say half of it is a hallway. So like, <laughs> it's a tiny house in its own yeah. right. Well, you, um, you want to yeah. keep, you want to keep in the, in shape so you can just jump right back in. If you, exactly, if you exactly. Um, yeah. But they're very cute. They're very cute. They seem really manageable. They seem like if you've never built anything before, it seems like they look like you could build one. Until you go to build one. Right. Well, I would say that a tiny house is actually, I think it's actually harder. It's a harder build than a bigger structure. Mm. Not, well, it's a shorter build because there's not as much of it. So, you know, each phase putting up the siding is takes less time because there's less siding to put up. But if you're building a tiny house that you intend to live full time in, it still has all those systems. It's got electrical, it's got plumbing, it's got heating, cooling, refrigeration, cooking, toilet, plumbing, just everything. Mm. And you're trying to fit those systems into a much smaller space. True. And so actually planning out the systems, figuring out where they go, where your plumbing lines are going to run. They're the kinds of things that in a bigger project, again, we don't have to sweat those details quite as much because there's plenty of space, you know, like, yeah. Like the plumber will decide where the plumbing lines go. The, the electrician will drill some holes through studs. But but in a tiny house, like my front wall of my tiny house where the front door is, the way it's framed, it's a, it was essentially impossible to, to pass electrical wires through the framing in this one spot where basically the, um, the king... Um, studs for the window and doors met the slope of the roof and created this just like solid mm. corner. And like, I didn't want to drill through it because like it was pretty structural and like, yeah. So you don't run into things like that in a bigger project. True. True. There's a little more void. It's yeah. not so packed with exactly. exactly. lumber. Well, so have you been seeing a lot of people trying to renovate tiny houses? Do they buy them off of, um, you know, aging free spirits who have decided to, I don't know, yeah. give it up. I've, I've seen some renovations. Um, I would say that there are a couple of different kinds of renovations that I'm seeing. Um, the first is kind of the more unfortunate kind, which is that, you know, tiny houses are starting to build a reputation for having moisture issues hmm. if they're not properly insulated and um, have a the proper vapor barrier set up. And so, you know, what you're seeing is people are, are finding mold and, and water damage from condensation and having to, you know, rip out cabinets, rip out 
walls, rip out floors and, and repair damage. Um, they're not so much renovation as in just repairs. Yeah. Um, but I've definitely seen, um, my one notable, um, kind of example is this woman, Macy Miller, um, who's also kind of an early tiny house. Um, I'm going to call her an early tiny house blogger. She was kind of around the same time as me sharing her story at her website, which is, I think, minimotives.org. Um, it might be .com. We can, we can check on that. But um, her tiny house originally, so it's built on a gooseneck trailer, and um, it had essentially a covered porch. It was a shed roof. And so the shed continued out, and then the front door was there, and then a, a, a porch continued. So she kind of had this porch, and then, um, you know, she had a second child and her partner moved in with her. And so they actually turned that porch space into interior space. So that was a, a renovation that, that they did. They added a few feet to their tiny house. Wow. Which is actually yeah. a pretty big percentage of the tiny house. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I, I tell people like, you know, the, the question of whether to put and how big of a shower or tub do you want to put in your tiny house? You know, it's, you might laugh, but you know, a 36 inch by 36 inch shower stall in terms of square footage is a, is a actual percentage of your overall floor plan. So what's the standard size? Would you say, I mean, I know there's no standard size, but if people are still taking them on the road, there are certain measurements that are, you know? Yeah. So, so for moving on the road, uh, in the United States, there are some numbers that that most people try to kind of stay within, and that is 13 and a half feet tall. Um, so that's from the ground to the peak of the roof, and then eight and a half feet wide at its widest. So that's you know usually that is your your drip edge to drip edge, you know your eaves, mm-hmm. and that makes for a very skinny long structure. Um, yeah. Very skinny. M- yeah, many houses are um, now going a little over width um, in in many states, and and this is the frustrating thing about the U.S. is that the laws are different in every state, and then for towing they're different in every state. But then actual um, building codes and and regulations go down to the the city level. Um, in most states, you are able to go over width by a certain amount. And it's not that big of a deal for towing. You know, for example, in Vermont, you can go up to, I think, 10 and a half feet. And it's just like, you have to self-register through the Department of Motor Vehicles online. You pay like 35 bucks or something and you they want you off the road by dark. Mm. Um, so adding that extra couple of feet of width actually makes a huge difference in terms of just what you can do on the layout, you know, the house is kind of long and narrow, so it can be difficult to create like those kind of L-shaped spaces where people can sit and face each other and kind of talk. And the the house can tend to become kind of this long, like almost like tunnel. Mm. And so going a little wider can help that a lot. Um, I'm not seeing people go over height often because that's a pretty hard, like, you know, the bridge... The yeah. 13 and a half foot bridge ain't moving. Um, right. 
to answer your question about size. Um, so when, when I built mine in, in 2012, it is on a, um, 22 foot trailer. And so, but the house actually stops a little bit before the end of the trailer. And then there's a covered porch. Um, so it's about 20 by seven and a half on the inside. Mm. Um, and that was actually on the bigger side, uh, at the time. Uh, now my tiny house is really tiny and, and we're mostly seeing houses more in the, the 26 to 30 foot range. I'm surprised to hear that, that it'd be that yeah. long. Cause that, I mean, at some point, don't you cross the line into something different than a tiny house? Like 30 well, feet is almost as long as a, what would you call it? A permanent house, like a house that can't move yeah. a non-mobile house. Yeah. I mean, the, the extra length allows people to do things like put in full-size kitchens, full-size size, but, and I, I'm, I mean, I'm using full size kind right. of in air quotes, but, but at least use full size appliances. Mm. Whereas like my house uses like the, the range is an RV range. So it's only like 18 inches deep. Um, the fridge is a tiny little like built-in fridge. Um, but people are able to go a little bit bigger. It, it gives people more options for storage, putting in laundry, putting in, you know, just amenities that make the house, um, a little more livable. And I'm really not seeing people move their tiny houses all that often. I mean, yeah. there are people who, who move them quite frequently, but the majority of tiny house dwellers are not moving all that often. I can use myself as an example. You know, I built the tiny house in a couple of different locations. So it moved a couple of times throughout the build that, and the build lasted 14 months. Um, and then once the build was done, I found uh, a site to rent that was about eight miles from where the build was. So it moved to the site in 2013 and it stayed there until last year, June of 2020, uh, the, the land changed hands and the new owners asked us to move the tiny house. And so the house moved for the first time in seven years. Um, the wheels of course allow you know, if, if my house was on a foundation, I could, you know, moving it would be a lot harder. But I, I do think that as houses get, as these tiny houses get bigger, we start to, to kind of say, okay, what are we losing the benefit of the mobility when we go this big? Because mm. I'm at about 10,000 pounds and that I don't own a vehicle that can tow my tiny house. Um, luckily I live in Vermont where there are a lot of a lot of people, farmers who have, you know, trucks and are very friendly and willing to help out. <laughs> you just um, go knock on their door. You see a truck in the yeah. yard. I mean, yeah. like, isn't that like some truck guys, like greatest, like dream? Like I would think, I yeah. That's you, why they have it. Tow, can you come tow my 10,000 pound trailer? They're like, yes, <laughs> my, like I've been waiting for this day. Um, but it's true. Yeah. It, you know, when, once you're above 10,000 pounds, um, in some states, you you're technically supposed to have a commercial driver's license to move a, a well, load that heavy. I'm a big advocate for hiring hiring a driver. Um, there are lots of transport companies that can do this. Um, it's it is quite a bit more expensive to have your house professionally towed, but you also are getting insurance essentially mm. with that. So you know they are responsible for anything that happens your yeah. house or to others while it, it moves down the road, not not you. Do you mind if I ask you some stupid questions? 
Please. because these are these are questions I have about, and I could probably just Google it, but I think no, I um, did before. But anyway, um, as a house is going down the highway at 50 miles an hour, uh-huh. it's essentially like the forces that are on it, right? Because right. it's moving all around. Right. And then also the wind, right? 50 right. mile an hour it's wind. Like so it's like- A hurricane and an earthquake at the same time. Yeah. So- so to me, it seems like that would that really made me nervous when I was when yeah. I was working on these um, rooms with these other guys. That would I, they didn't seem to be as concerned as I was, but I felt like um, you really have to design for that and engineer yeah. it so that it can joggle all around. If joggle's a word, yep, yep, yeah. So how do you how do people deal with that? Especially people who are just doing it for the first time themselves. Luckily, we really haven't seen tiny houses moving down the road and falling apart. Um, <laughs> Well, that's good. You know, yeah. I mean, who knows? Like that, that could have started happening. I, I'm sure if they were made out of like stone or concrete, they might mm. just because they're, but you know, a wood framed structure does tend to be kind of able to absorb that kind of stress. It's true. Um, but of course, any good set of tiny house plans will call out using basically hurricane strapping. Like mm. as if you were building a house in a high wind zone. So, you know, using one brand is is Simpson Strong Ties. They're kind yeah. of a popular brand. So, you know, tying your um, your floor system to the trailer with usually people use like a threaded, threaded rod, threaded bolts. And now it's the tiny house trailers are now coming with mm. threaded bolts kind of pre-welded into position so that you can just drill holes in your floor joists and just bolt the floor on. And then again, metal clips to tie your your wall system to the floor, the rafters to the wall, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, right. They also um, you're supposed to use tempered glass. Mm. Um, you know, RVs use tempered glass. It's the same way that the glass in your windshield is tempered, so it's it's yeah. not gonna like explode when it if it if it gets yeah. broken. That seems like a great um, idea. Yeah, and then you know, for, for really frequent travel, um, particularly the windows that are going to face front and get like a lot of maybe stones, chips, things from the road is like either shutters or just like, you know, putting up, basically boarding up your window as if a a hurricane was coming, you know, putting a piece of plywood over your window. That makes total sense because things are going to be popping off the road and yeah. it will break your window probably. Yeah. So, okay. So my second stupid question is when you get there, and let's say you're going to stay for two years or something like that. Do you then put the whole thing on a, like the whole trailer onto a foundation system? Cause obviously the tires. Well, I'll say like one, those will go flat. I'll say one more thing about towing. And so before we get there is that another thing that people always have problems with. And when I moved my tiny house, I was like holding my breath is that these utility trailers tend not to come with the greatest tires. Mm. Um, They don't come with really high quality tires. And so people, you know, get their new trailer, they pull it into position, they build their house on it, and then it sits for five years and then they Mm. go to move it and they end up getting blowouts on the road, which sucks. Um, So um, one thing that I advise in my, in my guide, tiny house decisions is, you know, if you're going to do a long journey in your house and your tires have been sitting, it's, it sucks. It hurts to buy four new tires cause they're not cheap tires, but put on new tires and grease your bearings because that's another thing 
you know, the, the one hour journey turns into a, a day long journey because you had to sit on the side of the road and wait for AAA to come. And, you know, yeah, it's yeah. So tires. So, okay. So once you get, once you get there, do you put your house on some kind of foundation system? Ideally? Yes. Um, depending on what kind of utilities your house has built in versus what you need to hook up to, mm. you're going to need some infrastructure on site. Yeah, it's um, true. Most tiny houses use a compost toilet, so they don't require, you know, a way to dispose of that kind of waste. However, most tiny houses produce at least gray water. And, you know, some places do allow you to discharge gray water, you know, either onto the ground or into some kind of gray water system. Um, but you will, you know, you're, you're going to need to figure out where your water goes. If you need power, you're going to need to hook up to that. And then, you know, if you need water coming in, in a lot of places, it's quite difficult to get water into your tiny house unless it's coming up from a pipe in the ground because mm. you've got the issue of, of freezing. Yeah, um, that seems like a lot of... A lot to think through. Are there things yeah, like it's a, RV parks for tiny houses? Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of RV parks are allowing tiny houses to park there. Mm. And in a way, it's, you know, tiny houses don't like to think of themselves as RVs. And they're definitely not the same thing. You know, RVs, recreational vehicle, right there in the name. They're, they're designed for temporary use. But RV parks tend to have the exact infrastructure that a tiny house would need. They've got a concrete pad, so you don't have to worry about your house, you know, sinking and getting unlevel. They've got, you know, plumbing hookups, electrical hookups, you know, everything is, is kind of there for you. But from a privacy perspective and aesthetic perspective, RV parks aren't always what, you know, tiny house dwellers kind of Yeah, think they of don't or, seem or that compatible. Right, right. And, mm. and we are seeing some, kind of, you know, people are buying up RV parks and turning them into tiny house parks. Okay. But then you still have really close neighbors. And to me, the image of being right. at a, like a lakeside site right. all alone, like that's right. not really. Right. Realistic. I think the image of being at a lakeside site all alone is, is certainly more the exception than the rule. In real life, tiny house living. You mean In real life, tiny house living. And that's, not everybody wants that. I mean, a lot of tiny houses end up parking in the backyard of another house. Mm. And um, because you do, because your space is small and, and there are certain things about it that are limited, be it maybe you don't have a tub or even a shower. You probably don't have, I mean, now they, a lot of them have laundry, but mine doesn't have laundry. So like you actually need to connect with your, very local community, as in the, the, you know, your neighbors quite a bit more when you're living in a tiny house. And, and a lot of people say that that is actually a really a big benefit of living tiny because it, it connects them to the people around them. Hmm. So you can rent, let's say um, your neighbor or somebody could put this, the infrastructure they need in their house so they could accommodate and rent that to a tiny yeah. house. And yeah. then the tiny house person lives out there. Yeah. The dream is, you know, we face a, a housing shortage across the country and in these cities, I mean, I'm in Burlington, Vermont. It's a perfect example. Like the, the cost of houses here have gone up so much that you can't really afford to buy a house here if you work like a normal job. Um, and 
so there are all these neighborhoods that have backyard, you know, there's, there's a lot of empty space that could be infilled. And so here's the dream is like, you know, let, let somebody who wants to rent their backyard to a tiny house family or, or couple or single person, Mm. they can get some rental income. We've added housing where there was none before. And it's, it's tends to be not transient. You know, it's, it's people who want to be somewhere and be a part of the community. Right. So they're there for years, not a couple of weeks. Uh, How do local zoning codes um, mesh with all that idea? It's a mess. Yeah, I can imagine. It's a total mess. (laughs) Okay. Well. Yeah. So let's get into it. Um, Yeah. So you've got, you've got zoning, you know, that controls like how you can use the land, you know, what, what can you put where, and then you've got, you've got building code safety. Right. And, you know, tiny houses can run afoul and often do run afoul of both. Right. Um, Right. And so there is an effort, there are multiple efforts underway. And I think that what I see happening is that they're going to start to coalesce, but in 2018, a group of tiny house advocates successfully wrote an appendix for the 2018 IRC, International Residential that. Code. I saw yeah, that. It's, yeah. So that's good. I appendix. think that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, look, you've got your IRC book right there. Right here. Um, woof, that is thick. So you know. yeah, Appendix Q is what it's called. And it, it actually sets up some code guidelines for houses under 400 square feet. Yeah, tiny houses. Um, it does not apply to houses on wheels, though. So it, this is just a little, like an ADU, basically? Yeah, in a way. But it's it's seen as kind of the first step because it, it would allow a municipality. So, so right now there's an effort underway because each state has to vote to adopt the latest version of the IRC. It doesn't just right. automatically disseminate everywhere. I know. Yeah, that's true. Like in Massachusetts, we're just on 2015. Exactly. And there are some places that are still on like 2008. Um, so it's seen as a first step at, or that it makes it easier for a municipality to adopt that language and then amend it to allow for wheels. And, and some municipalities are, are deciding, okay, you know, you've got to put the trailer up on blocks. You've got to take the wheels off and you've got to put up a skirting so that you can't see the trailer, that kind of thing, kind of make it look like it it's attached to the ground. And so that's, that's on the kind of, uh, residential and ADU side of things. On the other side of things, there are there is a body, a certification body for RVs that has existed since the 50s. Um, it's called uh, ANSI American. Oh man, I'm not going to American National Standards Institute, and they they have a safety code that applies for RVs and park models, and so. These codes are actually a bit better suited to tiny houses because they address the fact that the house can move. You know, they address the movability and they address fire safety in a smaller space. Now, the codes aren't, you know, the size of the egress window required in an RV 
is smaller than the size of an egress window that's required in a residential home. Um, so, you know, are the codes as strong? Maybe not. But what we're seeing happening is um, there have been a couple of prominent examples of, you know, the, the city of Los Angeles, not the county, but the city of Los Angeles has actually said tiny houses on wheels can be used as ADUs as long as they are RV certified. Yeah. So a lot of the professional tiny house builders are going toward, you know, getting their builds certified as RVs. Um, there's an effort underway to create uh, an, an RV code that is specifically for tiny houses rather than trying to shoehorn the tiny house into the RV or the park model code. Hmm. And, you know, I tend to agree that, that once that happens, once there's like an actual tiny house code that there's that more municipalities are going to jump on, jump on it that way. Yeah. Um, but those codes don't address at all things like wastewater, lot coverage. These are all, decisions and challenges that that each city will mm. face and have to deal with. Yeah. And that's that could take a while. I mean zoning yeah. changes take a long time it seems like especially yeah. and when- so what you're mostly seeing is that people are are just for better or for worse living illegally in their tiny houses and for most people nothing bad ever happens. You know, for some people they get a zoning violation and get asked to move. Hmm. So that's not that bad, relatively speaking. So if somebody wanted a tiny house, obviously they can build it themselves or they can buy one that, as you said, one the professional tiny house manufacturers are making, or they could buy one, a used one, and renovate it to suit themselves. Right. So those are the three options, basically. Yeah. Do you see people in retirement doing it or is it mostly still young people who? It's actually mostly people in retirement. Was it? Really? Yeah. Seriously, yeah, do they, it's, it's, do they it's sleep in those my, lofts? Because I don't think I'd, I don't want to sleep up there. Well, so there's a couple of things. I mean, most people are moving away from the sleeping loft, or if they are doing a sleeping loft, they are using a very compact staircase to get up to that yeah, loft yeah. rather than a, a ladder. I'm, you know, the ladder access loft is not convenient. It's not fun. Um, it's one of the things about my tiny house that I wish I could change. If I, you know, if I could go back, I would, I would not do that. Mm. Um, yeah. That would be hard if you actually had to keep yeah. getting up to go to the bathroom yeah. in the middle of the night, let's say. Exactly. But what we're yeah. seeing really is that, you know, young, younger people like me, you know, I was, I was like 26 when I started on my project and I'm, you know, I'm 36 now. Um, it's you know, we are tending, the younger folks are tending to build them, you know, maybe live in them for a couple of years and then kind of move on to a bigger house or, you know, and the, the, the boomers, the people who are retiring are tending to be looking at tiny houses as a way to retire Hmm. sooner or just a way to retire at all. And they're really talking about like, this is going to be my house that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to age in place in this tiny house. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a more long-term, uh, more hmm. long-term solution. Well, interesting. I mean, I, as I mentioned, I live in Massachusetts, so we don't have, mm. we, 
Okay, let's just say where I live because it's right next to Cambridge, so it's pretty dense. We don't have mm-hmm. enough room even for tiny houses in the right in most yards, and um, so I don't see any around here. Doesn't mean right. that they aren't happening, but I mean, I right. have I have heard that some people are living in the yard of their own house, but that's more of like an ADU, I think. But you could get a tiny yeah. house and bring it in there, and then rent your big house out to mm-hmm. a a young family who needs mm-hmm. the space, you know. So I know to me, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's a pretty interesting idea. And maybe it's because those photographs are so, um, they give it this romantic sort of air yeah. to the whole thing. And, you know, outdoor outdoor dining with the colored glass and everything and the yeah. meadow-picked flowers and stuff. But Right. Well, as someone who also lives in New England, you know that only exists like two <laughs> months of the year. Yeah. And one of those <laughs> months is really bad mosquitoes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. But it looks nice. You, you kind of forget that somehow. But yeah, that Certainly. would be another thing too, is the, is the climate would be a yes. challenge. Yes. I, a more temperate climate, like the Pacific Northwest and Northern California, mm. there are a lot more tiny houses because it's, it's a lot easier to live in a tiny house there yeah. because you can, you can pretty much count on being able to be outside much, much more of the year. So yeah, you can, set up more outdoor living spaces, outdoor kitchen, outdoor, you know, and essentially an outdoor living room if you, if you want to. Whereas again, like here in Vermont, that might be useful three, four months of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And otherwise you'll have to build an ice palace outside like they have in Quebec or somewhere. Right. Exactly. The ice palace. Yeah. And, and, you know, Massachusetts has been kind of not super, uh, not super progressive on tiny houses. Yeah. Um, and it's, true. it's understandable. I mean, Boston, Cambridge, it's very dense, Yeah. very kind of dense old city. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't imagine towing a tiny house into Boston. Oh, no, I can't either. Or even down, up down the road here in Arlington, that would be yeah. people yeah. not being nice about it. Yeah. It would be yeah. stressful, stressful. Yeah. But um, yeah, they don't even allow RV parking around in a lot of these towns near where I am. Okay. I have one more question for you. So if I were a person who didn't want to build it myself and I didn't want to buy a totally new one and I want to save some money, would I save some money if I just bought a used one and, you know, quote unquote, fixed it up myself? So renovated it. Would that be, I mean, why would anybody renovate one versus buy a new one just because they can make it their own or what do you think? Right. So right now, as you're probably aware, the cost of building materials yeah. has just skyrocketed. Yeah, it's so bad. everything is a little bit bonkers right now, and the the cost of buying a new tiny house is is has gone up a lot because just simply because the material costs have gone up a lot. Um, so you might you I think right now you certainly could save money if the person who's selling the tiny house is kind of pricing it based off of maybe what they spent on it rather than yeah. what would it cost to build this now? You know, mm. we're not seeing tiny houses. They're not appreciating assets. The thing that appreciates about a house is is more the land that it sits on than the house itself. That's true. And so tiny houses are, are maybe holding their value or depreciating more like RVs and cars than appreciating like, like houses. So mm. You can certainly get one. You can get a deal. You can certainly find deals on on used ones. 
but it, in my opinion, it's kind of a buyer beware situation, particularly if it was built by novices. Um, it can be really difficult to know what's behind the walls. Mm. Did they, you know, did they do the electric, the electrical wiring themselves, or did they, you know, mm-hmm. did they hire an electrician? Mm. Um, you know, is all these safety things. So yeah. I would, if I was buying a used tiny house, I would really want to at least say, Hey, do you have pictures from when it was under construction? Can I see the build photos? And then I might, you know, I'm not a pro. I would probably hire, I would hire an electrician to look at the photos and say like, yeah, it looks like they did the wiring. Well, I would mm-hmm. hire a plumber, you know, I would, I would really scrutinize the photos and then even buying a used tiny house that was built by a professional builder, there have been so many builders who have gone are kind of fly by night operations that, you know, build a few tiny houses and then disappear because people have complained or because they they didn't work that well. And so I would, you know, if I was buying a used tiny house from a builder, I would definitely, definitely try to find other people who worked with that builder and try to just check them out and make sure mm. that they're reputable. Mm. So it sounds like you would be a little bit cautious about buying a used tiny house. I would definitely be a bit cautious about buying a used. I like again, not saying it's not possible. Yeah. But um, you know, kind of buyer beware. But you should probably sounds not, like maybe you should gut like you should just take out all of the interior finishes and re and kind of look at yeah. everything. So it's almost yeah, like building I mean, it. Again, you could you could hire a building inspector to inspect it before you purchase it. You know, somebody who's going to come do a blower door test or, you know, they have that thing that they can stick into the wall and check the moisture content of the wood, you know, all those kinds of things. I, I would do that. Mm. Um, but from a, a renovation standpoint, if, if the shell is good and well built and you just want to change the inside, that's very, very doable. It's a small space it can be pretty difficult to move, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult to move the bathroom from one side of the house to the other, just because of the plumbing lines. But if you're going to keep the layout the same and maybe put up new finishes, new walls, new trim, new cabinets. um, Yeah. Hmm. I've at it. And you'll have a chance to see what's behind those walls when you do it. Yeah. Which sounds like you might want to, especially with the mold and water issues and things. Yeah. 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 Well, how can people get in touch with you? I mean, you have um, your podcast. I do. Which is a tiny house lifestyle podcast. And that's, you know, in all the places that you get podcasts. Um, But my website is thetinyhouse.net. And so that's where you'll find things like my my guide, Tiny House Decisions. You'll find the podcast. Uh, You'll find I've been writing a blog for years and years. So there are a lot of kind of meaty how-to type articles, how to pick a tiny house trailer, how to find parking for your tiny house. All those kind of basics mm. are, are pretty well covered on the blog. And Yeah, you have a um, ton of information yeah. on your website well, and on your you. podcast. Been... How many episodes of that podcast do you have? Oh, as of this this Friday, I will publish episode 158. So it's Ooh, been that's a, a weekly lot. show for just over three years. Yeah. So there is well, a so, huge, huge backlog of information on the podcast. So if yeah. you're a tiny house super fan, I would say just start, you know, start with episode one and go for it. Yeah. And there's pretty much any question you might have is answered, I would say, between your your website and and your blog. So 
I would hope so. Thanks for sharing all that with the world and for coming on and talking to me. You're welcome, Catherine. And, it was and my really listeners. Fun. Yeah, I just like to, um, I don't know if I'll ever live in a tiny house, but I like to, I like to think about it. Yeah. Even if you'll never live in a tiny house, just the thought exercise of thinking about, you know, how would I downsize? What would I get rid of? Um, it can be really helpful for people. And you can, you could go through that process if you wanted to of, of, you know, downsizing. It's very popular right now with Marie Kondo and. Yeah, I tried that. that stuff. It doesn't work yeah. for me. Sometimes you, we, sometimes we need hard limits. Like I literally <laughs> don't have the space for this thing. That's true. Thanks again to Ethan for joining me and thanks to you for listening to the episode. I have links in the show notes for, for everything and check out my episode enhancement where I'll have photos and additional information. And that can all be found on my new website at uh, www.talkinghomerenovations.com. I also have transcripts there. I have a speak pipe button where you can leave a voicemail for me if you have questions. We can play them in the future episode. If you have ideas for episodes or you just want to give me some feedback, you can please write to me at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. And I definitely do want to hear from you. I actually especially want to know, how do you feel about the types of episodes we're doing recently? I have some other episodes that are more practical. What do you need to do during a home renovation type? episode. So that'll be coming up one on insulation in a couple weeks. Um, anyway, as always, I'd appreciate it if you would share this show with your friends or coworkers or anyone who you think would enjoy it. If you have the time and the inclination to leave a review or a rating, that would help out the show as I look for sponsors, which I'll be doing in a couple of months. And and if you're really a huge super fan, you could uh, join my mailing list where basically I send out the episode enhancements and other little tidbits on a weekly basis right after I launch the episode. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well or on my on my website. You can sign up from there. This show is a member of the Design Network where you can discover exclusive architecture and design podcasts reaching creative listeners worldwide at designnetwork.org. And as always, this episode is a production of my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. Until next time, take care. Take care.